Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire. Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Star Trek from the holodeck. We've been away on holiday break, which I think all of us needed those six to eight weeks off. Unfortunately, many of us got sick during the winter break, so it wasn't that relaxing. It was more or less healing. And now we're trying to get over the sniffs, the drips, and the coughs. So if I have to suddenly turn my mic off in the middle of the show... Um, please don't be alarmed. Also, if I forget to turn my mic off and you just hear coughing all over the place, I am very sorry. <laughs> I apologize now. Where's our medical shots from like Star Trek where they just would walk up to someone and then just I need a medical right tricorder. <laughs> medical tricorder, please. We need an EA uh what is it? EH uh, EMH. EMH. <laughs> it's emergency medical hologram. Yeah, I need one of those. But can I make uh, my hologram look like I was waiting. To Paul? <laughs> I was waiting. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. You would probably make the EMH into to Paul. <laughs> yeah. Why a bald guy? <laughs> Come on. I look like an. I look at an old ugly guy every morning in the mirror. Why do I want to see that? <laughs> see that. <laughs> please, emergency sexy hologram. Please. I'd have mine to be Jerry Ryan. I need my penis checked again. <laughs> What's wrong? Nothing. Why don't you tickle it a little bit and jerk it just to make sure it works? Mike, this is not how this hologram is supposed to work. It will do whatever I say. <laughs> I am Captain Harvey Weinstein here. Hello, everyone. Welcome. <laughs> All right. So if you are a new listener to the show and you have found us because you are all into Picard. Well, welcome. I am Michael Flores, your host, and in the studio with me uh, forever is David Sabal. Hello, David. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so we're back. The network typically closes down uh, shop completely from mid-December to mid-February, but we do come back partially for TV events and shows, and this is definitely an event worthy of coming back early from our winter break. We are going to be discussing and breaking down the very first episode of Star Trek Picard. There has been a lot of speculation about this series. How will they handle the obvious Kelvin timeline connection because of the Romulan supernova? How will the aftermath of Nemesis factor in? The death of Data. There are a lot of things that that are going on within the mind of Super Trekkies. I know... I'm including myself in that equation there. There's just so many things are being thrown at me. Like, well, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? How are you going to deal with that? There is so much Star Trek canon uh, that is very deeply connected to 
Picard as a character. So it has created a lot of questions. I know my mind was spinning with how the showrunner, Michael Shabon, is going to do this. Yeah. And quite simply, the answer is very delicately, right? I was surprised actually he was very he was tackling it very de- delicately. I was expecting, you know, them to just ram it, ram it in because shields up, shields up. <laughs> but like, honestly, the questions that you posted, that's a lot to ask to try to solve. Right Prepare now. for ramming speed. Yeah. What a Shabon Wharf <laughs> from first contact. <laughs> first contact. First contact. But first contact, not force force contact. What world, David? Are you not here? <laughs> but like the 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 questions that you pose, especially yeah. like connecting the supernova, which we all know yeah. connects the Kelvin timeline, and I'm like going, that's one of the biggest questions, and yeah. I, I I dreaded what Shaiban had to do to actually answer that. And you're right. Actually tackling it, tackling it more delicately made more sense. Yeah. You have to be very careful. You don't want to go to ramming speed just yet. You need to slowly ease the audience in. And before we jump into the nuances of the episode, I want to say as a Star Trek fan, not a critic, I feel like there was an earnest effort from Shaban, Shaban and his team to deliver an authentic piece of Trek. And that's what I was looking at more than anything, more than my fan wants. And we can be real here for a moment. Every single one of us Star Trek fans, we're always going to have our fan wants. Yes. But we cannot allow our fan wants to take over. Or I should say not allow us to see a good story unfold because it may not be exactly what we had expected or maybe even wanted. And the way the episode started, you know, moving towards Enterprise D, which was just that's a nice little fan oh, moment nice. uh, moving towards Enterprise D and into 10 forward. Uh, I mean, essentially picking up where the TV series had ended with a poker game. If people don't remember that, that's how TNG yes. ended. They all sit down to play poker and having Picard say in those very opening moments when, when he's playing poker with Data, I don't want the game to end. Yes. I mean, that hit me. Well, it it reminded me of like that same game you're talking about, the way they ended where Picard says, where Picard looks at his crew and says, I should have done this sooner. Oh, at the end of the the season? End of the season. And then you go to this where he goes, I don't want the game to end. And I'm like going, oh, that hits you right in the feels, especially when you take into context that. The last time he ever we ever saw this type of scene was he was surrounded by his entire crew. And then you you parallel that with him and just Data. There's no one else. It's just him and Data, and they're playing poker. Which is very appropriate. Let's just be real here. That's another thing that I had been wondering how they would handle. And we'll get into that also a little bit later in the show. But the way they handled the Data equation was definitely welcomed. It was something that I was hesitant about because I feel like the way Data's story came to an end, I know Star Trek fans have their issues with Nemesis, but from the Data side, I was satisfied. I was happy seeing the relationship between Picard and Data end the way it did. It ended with a sacrifice, a human response. Yeah, A robot wouldn't make a decision like that. A simple android wouldn't make a decision like that. He sacrifices life for his captain, for his best friend. And the way they ended his story, I felt was 
heart-touching. It was appropriate for the run of Picard's story and Data's story, and I didn't want them to mess that up. And the way they continued it so far in this episode, I was very pleased. Yeah, because they paid they paid homage to it, honestly, because showing the fact that Picard, not just as a captain, but as as a human being, that's how that sacrifice affected Captain Picard, was that his friend sacrificed himself. I love the fact that the during the episode, when Picard ever refers to Data, he it's almost like a, his best friend. It's his best friend that basically just sacrificed himself. Yeah. And You're right. You're right, Dave. And I know some Star Trek fans might not want to hear this, but I mean, towards the tail end of TNG and definitely all the movies, the highlights and the focus was Picard and Data. And Data. Their relationship, Data's journey to understand humanity and, and to learn what it's like to be a living life form. That's That was the focus towards the tail end of TNG, I'd say the last three or four seasons, and moving into the movies. And when you're de- looking at Star Trek as a whole, I mean, all of Star Trek is like that. Uh, the original series focused on, yes, the ensemble, but for the most part, they focused on the relationship between Spock and Kirk and, and Kirk McCoy. And McCoy, yeah. TNG focused a lot on the relationship between Data and Picard. Deep Space Nine was, for the most part, a very true ensemble cast and never favored one person over the other. But then you look at Voyager. It was, for the most part, the Doctor, Janeway, and Seven and Nine. Those were the characters they truly focused on. They tried to focus on other characters for the opening couple seasons, but it just didn't connect with the audiences. It didn't work. And the thing about uh, Data himself, Data's journey himself is like one of the most important to me is one of the most important things of TNG is because data's journey into understanding what it, what it takes to be human, the synthetic life form, trying right. to understand what it is to be human. And then culminating in nemesis where he basically makes that, makes that decision that I'm going to do this because I want to save my, my friend. Yeah. And it's such a human thing to do it's such a poetic way to have his story end. And now it's, now it's more or less focusing on what that sacrifice means to Picard. Yeah, I agree, Dave. And uh, let's circle back just a moment. Cause we're jumping way ahead, getting back to the, I don't want the game to end aspect. Yeah. I felt like that was such a great way to start the episode in those opening moments, because it was a really good way to just immediately get into the head of Picard We know from the get-go that this is a guy that potentially regrets decisions he might have made or decisions forced upon him, as we had, as we have seen in this opening episode. Perhaps he's not living his life, the life that he wants to live or he thinks he should live. You know, he even says, I'm waiting to die. Uh, That was powerful. Yes. That was really powerful. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us can connect to that, you know, in some level we can connect with that not saying we're all living in our twilight years and we look behind at what we've been doing for the past 20 or 30 years but i think when you reach a certain age dave i'm 40 years old and i look back and think okay am i i think we all get in ruts you know maybe one or two years i don't allow myself to get in ruts more than a year but i think most people 
It's the human condition. We get comfortable and we get in a rut yes. and we sometimes start to look back. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't feel like I'm living. So those words were very, very powerful. And um, poetic. To, very poetic. Very, very poetic for that character because like I understand a lot of people might feel that seeing Picard broken in this way doesn't fit the character, but it actually does when you actually put it into the, the scale that – since TNG, Picard has always been seen. I think the most perfect way of seeing it was the interview where they were explaining how he's he's highly decorated. He's a great strategist. He's a perfect diplomat. He's this. He's he's the perfect human being. I just loved we got that. And then all of a sudden we get to a point where he fails and in a big way. He has this climactic failure and it scars him. Because the whole time, Picard's always been the leader. Or at least he felt like he failed. And he, he felt failed. like it. Yeah. And he felt like he failed. And that's what breaks him. Yeah. It, it's so poetic that it drives him to basically say, I've been, I've been, I think his exact words was, I've been trying to live here in solitude, but in actuality, I'm just waiting to die. Yeah. Jesus, that yeah. was, that was like a, a, a powerful moment, but it was also like, this all right, Picard, go out and get him. Yeah, it's it time to good. go go out and get him because now Picard's ready to 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 do what we all know he can do. Yeah, and the circumstances around these emotions, we're going to get into greater detail in a moment. But first, Dave, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I want your initial reactions to this episode. How did it make you feel? Did it live up to your expectations? Those are the burning questions, Dave. My initial reaction after watching it for the first time, I was very surprised. I was not expecting this type of storytelling from the first episode, but I loved it. You didn't expect a hit to you right in the feels immediately. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I, know, expect, I know, dude. I didn't expect like this really subtle, nice, nuanced storytelling where it's nicely, evenly paced. We're not going to rush things. We're not going to suddenly drop him and say, here he is at the, we're going to solve the Kelvin timeline thing. Bang. And then off we go. No, we're going to take this nice and easy. We're going to start with Picard suddenly dealing with some more introspective things. Yeah. And I really love that. I think that that's why in the beginning of the show, I think that Shaiban's the only one that could possibly do this and do it justice. Because he understands how these characters function. He obviously gets it, right? He gets it. He yeah. understands how these characters need to function. Yeah. And that are not I, – I, I'm, I'm really afraid of any other writer tackling Star Trek nowadays because to me, sometimes writers think they know Star Trek – and they use the stereotype of Star Trek. You know? Oh, David, I love you right now. Come over here. <laughs> and like they, 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 they automatically say, well, Picard is this. He's a Frenchman. He's, he's this. He's this. The stereotypical things that you would expect in that right. character. And then that's what makes, that's what makes Picard. No, I agree. No. And that's Star Trek's always been about humanity. It's been about the, the human journey condition. Of, the, the journey to find one's oneself. Yeah. And I know people may say, well, you know, this is the Picard we thought. I mean, he has failed. He's depressed. He doesn't believe in Starfleet. But guys, Starfleet is an idea. Yes. The Federation is an idea. Okay. That doesn't Starfleet and the Federation does not make Star Trek. And when I say make Star Trek, I mean it in the romantic sense, the romanticized sense. What makes Star Trek Star Trek is not Starfleet, is not Federation. It's the values of the individual. Yes. 
It's the exploration of life, the exploration of humanity, being human, the rights and wrongs, uh, immoral and moral decisions. And I could go on and on for another two hours talking about the nuances of what Star Trek is about. It's not about Starfleet. It's not about the Federation. That's why I don't care when they paint the Federation or the Star or in Starfleet a in a bad light because it's not about them. It's about the people that will fix it yeah. and will fix the wrong. And that's that's the thing is kind of like I think one of the one of the most impactful. I mean, this you, whole episode I was on was, a William Shatner tangent. Why did you mess me up? I was like, <laughs> I need my pain. You need your pain. But like one of the most important scenes is Picard telling the telling the interviewer in the middle of the interview that Star Trek is not the star or Starfleet star is not Starfleet's not Starfleet anymore. Yeah, dude, that was my favorite part. That I think of the part. entire fucking show because <laughs> me and my brother were already talking about it because my brother loved it and my brother's a little bit of a bro you know he's not like us he's not a film douche he's a bro he's like is there hot bitches in it you know that's the kind of guy my older brother is but he called me and he's all dude this show made me cry man i'm like what he's all dude it is he's all it just brought back all the feelings when we were kids watching star trek to see picard and you know data on screen together again i'm like yeah absolutely and we were talking about one thing him and I always talk about, just like what you and I do on the show. We always talk about the moments when Patrick Stewart gets to act where he you know, he has his 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 flare ups, his blow ups where he's all. no, Yeah. <laughs> and I will make them pay. He has those, he, he always has those moments, those Shakespearean moments. Yeah. And dude, the opening 20 minutes when he said Starfleet is no longer Starfleet. And the news reporter said, what did you say? Starfleet! It's a Starfleet! <laughs> I can't act like him. He said it so well. Oh, he said it He's so all, well. He yelled, Starfleet is a Starfleet. And I'm like, and that's why, Patrick Stewart, you get the fucking paycheck you get. Yeah. And you know what's amazing? I would love to see the behind- And I was just like, welcome back, Picard. Yeah. And I would love to see the behind the scenes of that scene with the interviewer. Yeah. Because Patrick Stewart... I'm sorry if I was actually the actor opposite him and he's doing that, I would probably be like the, the, the interview too. It's like, shit, what yeah. do I do? I mean, probably, did you notice, a, like, probably a real natural it was reaction. A re- it was a natural reaction. Like the, that interviewer just has this new, like this real reaction yeah. that I love where she's like going, holy shit. What do I say? I can't say anything right now. Yeah. And she brings her hands up and I'm like, going, I would be the same way because of how good Patrick Stewart just drop the mic on his acting performance in that scene. Well, you bring up a great point because Will Wheaton, um, he's hosting the uh, Ready Room this year. He was talking specifically about Patrick Stewart's performances and how he remembers when he was on set of TNG that uh, they were not intimidated by Patrick Stewart, but they were all like, there was a certain amount of intimidation. Yes, because he's so good. Yeah. And that when he really gets into the role, it makes everybody around him that much better because they're all trapped in this, you know, this, this pool of talent that you you feel his emotions and his passion and it affects everybody around him and it makes them all perform better as well. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it too, is like going back to like thinking about like the TNG scenes with some of the actors who are say less than talented, like if will, come on, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But like, we all we all know that the most powerful scenes Will ever had 
is the ones where he shares with Patrick Stewart. Like, I don't know why. And when I think about it now, the scenes of Will Wheaton that I love when he, when is when he's acting opposite Patrick Stewart, because Patrick Stewart is drawing more raw emotion out of him than as if he was by himself. Like nothing. Well, nothing. The one of the best Will Wheaton scenes that pop in my head is when there's an episode where Jean Luc visits visits him in the Starfleet Academy. Yeah, and Jean Luc is telling him about how he needs to make a decision. Honestly, he needs to make a decision. He's not a little boy anymore. He's not the ensign on the on on the bridge of the Enterprise. This he's in Starfleet Academy. Be a man. Make your dad proud. And I remember that scene so vividly now. It's like, yeah, it's the scenes when he's sharing time with Patrick Stewart that Will Wheaton, his acting chops just go up like yeah. amazing levels. Yeah. Like, I just remember the look on his face when he's being scolded by Jean-Luc and Will looks like he's crying. He's going to cry. Probably was. <laughs> I would have. And like... I like the fact that basically it's it's amazing nowadays that people talk about John about Patrick Stewart's acting more now than I know back in the well, past because he's always been great but the whole love affair with comic book movies is what's really given him that mainstream little nudge because of being involved with the X-Men franchise that's what the kids know him from yeah you know, um, and hey, it's it's our gain as well. His popularity has paved way for the return of this series. So or the return of Picard, I should say. All right. So let's talk about the big question we've all had since it was revealed that Picard had left Starfleet. Now, they are using that Romulan connection we've been talking about since day one. The dwindling power and grip of the Romulan Empire was something that was covered in Nemesis. And, of course, the destruction was used as the very catalyst for the 2009 J.J. Abrams reboot. Yeah. It seems like for now, which is smart, Shabon, Kurtzman, and Goldsman, the three producers and showrunner, have carefully brushed past Spock's involvement and the impending split timeline that follows. Yes. But they did it so subtly that it doesn't, it, it really didn't bother me. It, it didn't bother me because it's not necessarily crucial to what is happening to Picard. Yes. And I think that's smart. Now, eventually they can cover it. It would feel odd for them not to talk about Spock because Spock's involvement within the Romulan, with the Romulan people is very well documented. Throughout the run of TNG. Yeah. And then, of course, in Star Trek 2009, the 2009 reboot, before the split timeline had happened, he was working with the Romulans to help save them. So I feel like at some point they do need to mention Spock and his disappearance. I I, I think so, too, but just not right now. Right. Not because, right now. Can you imagine to, like, let's say the, the layman, which, let's be honest, there's going to be a lot of newcomers into star trek that there will be a lot of newcomers who may not have watched tng and star trek voyager and the original series and all the movies in fact i already know there are because i've read the comment section of people who are just now getting into star trek because of patrick stewart and then being a fan of his work over the last several years and wanting to check out picard 
So if they were to now to throw in Spock out of nowhere, that's a lot. It, it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. It's it's a it's it's way too much to get into. But eventually, I feel like they do need to mention it, even if it's just something like a throwaway comment. So the rest of us nerds can be like, okay, there's the connection. Now, even though they have decided to steer away from Spock's involvement, they have decided to focus on the aftermath and the genocide that followed closely after. That's the focus for this show. That is, yeah. That's the the narrative backbone of Picard's journey here or Picard's beginning of this new journey. However, in retrospect, this could also lend credence to Nero anger the villain in 2009 Trek film. For all we know, he was aware of all this. This is part of the anger. Yeah. And so, it would make sense, especially yes, how his over anger, the top his anger was towards Spock, Picard, and Data. Right. Well, we don't know for sure with Picard and Data. If you read the comic book, yes. But yes. It, what we know for from a canon point of view, not books and comics, from a canon point of view, his anger was very much focused on Spock. So we'll see how they handle all that. So we know that Picard's plan to evacuate the Romulan people was not entirely successful. That's the setup there. A rogue of synthetic beings went rogue. <laughs> yes. And attacked the shipyard on Mars where the Romulan people were being taken. The attack ignited the gaseous atmosphere of Mars and resulted in mass deaths. Yep. And I liked I liked that because it kind of connected one of the elements of data's story into the first episode of Picard, which was that kind of civil war that was going on with data and lore. If you, if you remember data and lore, they had like these, these, uh, Borg lore found a way to actually take a group of, uh, Borg and kind of make them their own little group or little army. And it kind of, when they did that in this, I was like thinking, oh, I, I wonder if they're trying to tie in that story element from TNG where it was that rogue synthetic war that was going on, you know, with Hugh and B and, uh, and, and uh, lore and data where Borg hive members were suddenly getting more independent, uh, more independent thought and will. Of their uh, a will of their own away from the high. Yeah, it could be. Honestly, I mean, there's a lot of things that they could be doing with this. I got the sense that they were doing almost like a con, superhuman, genetically engineered superhuman type thing. Again, some type of, you know, political statement on supremacy supremacy and, and and xenophobia. I can imagine that's the route they're going. Uh, and we'll get into that, um, but we don't want to jump too far ahead because no. there's a lot to dissect. This, The part with the whole Romulans and the synthetics, I'm cool with it for a lot of reasons. If they do go the route of like the superhuman type thing or the supremacy type thing, it could be a great way to really dissect, again, what does it mean to be human? Uh, I was at first a little upset that they demonize synthetics because of what it would because of what it does to data's name his story his background and look look what they did to before before was dismantled because of the ban yeah uh, so 
there's a lot of stories they can explore because of this. Uh, this aspect not only serves as Picard's backstory and the reason for his departure with Starfleet, but it would seem like the narrative thread or at least the myth arc of season one. Uh, because as we find out, synthetics were banned. We will get into this in a moment. Uh, but more to the point, Starfleet abandons Starfleet abandons the Romulan evacuation plan, resulting in an even greater tragedy for the Romulan people. Yes. And Picard's disappointment with Starfleet's decision is what ultimately pushed him out. And it made sense, too, because, like, Picard symbolizes the old Starfleet way of thinking that we all must help the galaxy. I mean, it ties into his storyline with Q. What makes humans so great? Well, what makes us great is because we go out there, we help everybody. Why does God need a starship? Why does God need a starship? <laughs> but like, and then for Starfleet to suddenly do a 180 and say, oh no, screw the Romulans. We don't care about them right now. We just got attacked. Forget it. We're now isolationists. Yeah. It ties so well into what, uh, in Nemesis, what, uh, yes, what, yes. um, what, what was it? Shinzon? What Shinzon was telling Picard is like, your, your Starfleet empire is eroding and it's, it, it's now falling like the great empires and they can't do what you always wanted them to do, which was go out there and save the day because they're a failing empire. And I thought that that was so powerful. And it, and in a way, I, I I understand a lot of Star Trek fans saying, oh, they're making Star Trek look bad. No, no they're, they're not. not. You mean Starfleet. Or Starfleet. Yeah. They're, they're making Starfleet look bad. And I'm like, going, no, they're not. They're not making them look bad. This is how progression is. I mean, do we all, do we all agree that basically the decision to ban synthetics and then leave the Romulan people to basically almost become extinct because their homeworld just got evaporated was that wrong? Yeah. But there's also a, a, there's also a, a thought process that we just had a, an entire planet that was our sister planet, Mars, turn into a fireball. <laughs> and, and there are justifications. There's justifications Not that saying, basically make it, quote, unquote, understandable. Right. Not saying it's right, but under, it's, yes, you're right. To make it to make it palatable, it makes it understandable as a viewer. You can understand why Starfleet and the Federation made the decisions they made. Because again, not just a nemesis, but even uh, the movie prior Insurrection, Insurrection. they directly go into, uh, I believe, the villain of that movie, uh, Ruafo, the people that the guy that was abusing his home planet for the natural healing abilities. And Starfleet was on board or the Federation was on board with the idea of raping the natural resources of this planet. And Ruafo brings up the very fact that the Federation can barely even hang on because of the war with the Dominion and because of the recent Borg attacks. And this is a government that has been stretched thin. So now you throw on top the Romulan disaster how can they handle it? Yeah, you know, and then you have the the uh, the uprising of the of synthetics. Hey, it's time to withdraw and count our losses, lick our wounds, and let's figure out what we're going to do before our entire infrastructure as a society falls apart. 
So it does make sense. It doesn't mean it was a morally morally a right decision, but it's an understandable it's an decision. Un- it's an understandable decision. It, it makes the it makes the argument of Picard's more. It, we we're all behind Picard. But it, it, I like the fact that they did the what I call the Star Trek way. There's no right or wrong answer. There's just a decision that you have to make, and you got to live with those consequences. And and also, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, wouldn't the Prime Directive also kind of go into effect with the Romulans? I mean, yes, they're not pre-warp, but are you not supposed to interfere with the natural way exactly. of a society? Are you supposed to? Are you supposed to help them? Shouldn't you allow them to naturally just cease to exist? I mean, yeah, that's because the prime directive, it's the right? Prime directive. I, I could be misquoting the prime directive or, or getting it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't just pertain to pre-warp society. It it involves any involvement with the natural progression of a society. I would love. I would love during this season if Shaiban actually tackled that question the, oh the prime directive the prime directive if he does that i will love this season to I'm, the end of time yes dave because it's already an iffy law it's an iffy law it's something that i understand from a practical standpoint it per- makes perfect sense you don't want to contaminate another culture yeah i mean we have our own laws to this day in our societies um it makes sense but when do you break that law to save lives well, or yeah or do we go back to darwin's theory of the survival of the fittest so you could sit here and debate the legitimacy or the moral and immoral applications of the prime directive all day long that's why it's such a fucking great element to star trek it is it's one of the most it's it's a cornerstone of what makes star trek star trek and like i honestly feel that if there's one character that can tie that can tie that question and actually tackle that question, it is Jean-Luc because we all want to be Jean-Luc. But then when the, this, the thing that I loved about this episode was we love to be Jean-Luc, but we're now seeing the decisions, the consequences of Jean-Luc's decisions right. of how he, fe- yeah. how he looks. And then it, the questions, do we really want to be Jean-Luc? Because guess what? No! Did he make the right decision? Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the, but, but the best part by far, when I did that, when when Picard did that and I was on there, it's amazing to me that a lot of Star Trek babies out there. Yeah. Just. I just don't say, care. No, Star, no, Jean-Luc's always right. He's never wrong. Oh, I'm like, like Starfleet. Really? <laughs> How dare you rule Starfleet potty yeah. mouths? Yeah. I, just, then, I hate, like, I hate, uh, I'm just going to say it. I hate those type of fans. I hate those type of just fans. Just sit now. back and enjoy it. And, and enjoy if it's it. not an abomination to Star Trek, just take it for what it is. Can you imagine some of these fans, Dave, would be happy getting TNG on repeat for the for the next 30 years the same thing over and over and over and over you have to progress you have to you have evolve to with the times the whole point about star trek is it's not just watching the discovery this this sounds dramatic but it's not just Remember about now. it's not about the discovery of those characters that we watch on the screen but it's also kind of like Roddenberry's writing is supposed to make us think and discover something inside of us right as the audience right and if you can't do that, then it's obvious that you're afraid of what Star Trek really is about. Yeah. Discovery of oneself. 
Yeah. Building your own moral compass. Seven and nine discovered the nuances of her own self several times. I discovered myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> with seven of nine. All right. All right. So let's move a little deeper into the story. It looks like we are using synthetics as a way to explore the thematic side of the story. As it is now, there is a lot going there. There's a lot going on. We have the statement made loud and clear by Picard during his interview that we are trying to save lives. There's no distinction when the reporter asks him about saving human lives or Romulan lives. I should say he says we were trying to save lives. There was no distinction between human or Romulan. That was definitely a statement, whether or not they will continue down some story pertaining to immigration or refugees or the fact that uh, a lot of people feel that the U.S. has become uh, a bit of an isolationist nation. Um, We'll have to wait to see. Or it could just simply be something that adds weight to Picard's resolve, and that works just fine for me as well. I do have some ideas based on some red carpet interviews, but I don't want to spoil anything just yet. So I will hold off until we have more to go off on. But apparently um, the writers are using more relevant political scenarios. Yeah. Uh, to craft some of the major building blocks of this season's narrative. The only thing that I would say about that is I hope they do do it justice for Star Trek because Star Trek has been doing this for a very long time. This, but, is, not, this is not new this because not there new. were people complaining, Dave, when they had read some of these red carpet reviews. Picard had or Patrick Stewart had said something very specific and it pissed people off immediately. My older brother sent me a text message and saying, oh, here we go. The woke generation is going to now F up Star Trek. And I said, dude, I'm like, I hate the whole thing woke Woke. because it kind of (laughs) like there's nothing wrong being woke. Let's just be honest here. Like there's nothing wrong being woke. Now, if your woke mentality uh, disrupts everything because everything needs to be a certain way that you deem it should be in terms of liberal politics, then go fuck yourself. Then go fuck yourself. But being woke isn't a bad thing. And I told my brother, I'm like, dude, first off, and again, he's not a thinker, you know, he's not my <laughs> older brother. Not like he's, he's a very intelligent person, but he's not a thinker. He's not an academic. And I said, dude, I'm like, Star Trek's always been woke. Yeah. If you want to put it in those terms, this is always Star Trek's always pulled from headlines. It's always done. The that. writers have always pulled from political headlines and used it to craft stories that would feel more real and true to life. Because mm-hmm. again, we're dealing with the nuances of humanity. So I'm okay with them pulling from relevant headlines yeah. as long as I don't feel like they're getting on a soapbox. If exactly. I feel like they're getting on a soapbox and pointing down to people telling us how to think, then I'll be annoyed. But honestly, I just don't see them doing that. I don't see them doing it because Star Trek, Star Trek prides itself, honestly, dude, when you think about it, on its ability to tell stories that are social social and political statements. You're right. But without pointing a finger at you. <laughs> We're not going to stand on soapbox. Yeah. Star Trek has always been good at that. And do I think that Michael Shaibon can do it? Absolutely. He can do this. The question becomes, can other writers do it? Right. Because once Shaiban says, okay, my, my writing, my writing job's all done. Moving on to the next one. It really comes down to, do we have faith in the writer? Yeah. 
And right now, I have faith in Michael Scheibon. I mean, everyone does. If you if you read the read the red carpet reviews, I mean, they have talked glowingly of how the writing team has tackled Picard. Yeah, and give give props to uh, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart's in there too, trying to give his input because this is an important character to him. But Patrick what? Stewart's always seen that type of person to understand what. Proper good writing is proper good writing. Proper good writing. Oh my god, I, I should be. What about should proper good speaking? Proper good speaking. <laughs> but um, like, but no, like, I get what you're saying. And Dave, I mean, it says something about Michael Shaban when Shaban, when Patrick Stewart had passed on the project already, he originally said no, and then Michael Shaban had put together some ideas, some writing, some script notes. And had asked uh, Akiva Goldsman and um, Kurtzman to forward it over to Patrick Stewart one last time. And Patrick Stewart read it. And then he said, okay, he'll do it. Because whatever Shabon had written, it connected with Patrick Stewart. So obviously, Shaban has some insight into Star Trek. Obviously. I mean, again, the opening episode was was pretty fantastically done. Oh, so it was it was wonderfully done on a writing on a writing scale. And like it makes me really now that you mention that, I really want to go back and just look at Shabon and read some of his original works. Yeah. I mean it's worth doing. I'm looking at I'm looking at his resume right now because I brought it up earlier. His, oh his resume. Are you gonna hire him? <laughs> his, you hire him for a job? His uh his basic credentials. Dude, he's won Pulitzer Prize Nebula Awards. He won the O. Henry Award. He won the Hugo Award yeah. for best novel. And like, it, I almost want to smack myself for not reading more of his work. Yeah, because obviously he has some pull as a writer to actually be able to look at someone like like Patrick Stewart and say, "Hey, take a look at my stuff." Yeah, just take a look at it. You judge it. And it'll make you want to come. Back. I'm going to throw something at you. If you don't like it, just throw it on back. Throw it on back. Yeah. And I'm like going that that's a lot of pool as a writer. As a wannabe writer, I would love to have that type of talent. Where Who's a wanna, you're a wannabe writer. Now? I'm a wannabe writer. right Jesus, now. David, because here's the you thing. are just hating yourself lately. I want that type of that power and that talent to be able to look at a look at like a a Patrick Stewart, a Ian McKellen, someone who's that talented and say, here's my stuff. It's going to make you want to come back. <laughs> yeah. no, I get what you're saying. All right. So let's look at this a little bit from a different angle <clears throat> or let's look at this a little bit differently. Um, we're talking a little bit about the politics, but we can also be looking at a further dissection of what it means to be human or alive. Uh, the fact that they chose the synthetic aspect uh, being sentient. This has always been a big part of Data's story. What does it mean to be human? Uh, Seven of Nine, who's also involved with this show, was also on a similar path of exploration and understanding uh, her own individualism or identity as a human or as a being. And when we take what we know of this young girl that was introduced into the episode, I believe you pronounce her name Daj and then the twin Soji. Daj and Soji, yep. Uh, Being synthetics that apparently have been Created based off Data's positronic brain. I, I believe that's how they had worded it. Now, whether Data had some direct involvement with their creation remains to be seen. 
I think a lot of people are assuming that Data was actually the one who had started working on this these uh, twins, twins before he had died in Nemesis. But whatever they're doing, which it'll be revealed, they are referring to them as Data's daughters, the yep. two of them, the twins. And I really like this part a lot. Uh, when Picard mentioned that Data had always wanted a daughter. Yes. I love that they're using Picard and Data's bond as the emotional catalyst for this show's narrative. Their relationship rivaled. It really did. It rivaled Kirk and Spock. I mean, a lot of people think Star Trek relationships, they go to Kirk and Spock. But then there is Picard and Data, mm-hmm. which is just as strong. Uh, and then this idea that Data really wanted a daughter. This is actually true. Uh, in one of the most m- moving episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, I believe it was season three, The Offspring. Yes. The very first episode directed by Jonathan Frakes, by the way. Yep. Uh, Data created his own android. It was something he could do only based on his own template, which if that's why he created Dodge and Soji, they literally could bring Data back to life because they share his exact template, template. from an artificially intelligent consciousness. I hope they don't bring data back. I'm just saying let he's dead. You can continue his legacy like they're doing, but you know, Bruce Spiner's aged a lot. Yeah. And I think the de-aging and I don't want to get off track here, but the de-aging did look pretty damn fucking great in the episode, mm-hmm. but there are limits to it. So There's limits we want to, to be it. careful. And honestly, this, there has to become a point when we can just as fans let be able to let go of data this is data's legacy bringing him back would ruin his legacy yeah, right and because and, it goes back to what we were talking about how his journey was to fu- to figure out what it means to be human and he did and he did at his the story very end came to an end it was the most poetic thing to do is like self-sacrifice and this is the most respectful thing you can do to data's journey is don't continue it any further in terms of bringing him back to life but Giving him that opportunity that he had desperately wanted in that episode of TNG. Yeah. Give him the opportunity to actually leave behind a legacy, to leave behind offspring. It's again, it was an emotional episode. I believe he named his daughter Lull. Yeah. I believe Lull. it was Lull. Was it Lull? Lull. Yep. Yeah. Well, actually, he let her choose her own. Ge- oh, talk about. Oh, Data's so woke. He <laughs> let her choose her own gender, species, and appearance. And she ultimately chose to appear as a human female in her 20s. So this being, first off, this is a fucking deep cut, Dave. I mean, going way back to TNG season three. But it's actually one of my favorite episodes. I believe it's called The Offspring. Let me yeah, check. I said that. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the episode itself is like one of my favorites because it has one of the best moments between Commander Riker and Data that I can remember is where Commander Riker is talking with his daughter and Data walks in and basically does like the, I think he looks at her and looks at him and says, what's your intentions to my daughter? <laughs> and I'm like going, it's one of the funniest moments because it's like Data is actually understanding what it is to be human. Yeah. And it's, it, it's when you have these moments, they may seem silly at first, but it's actually really important for, it's cool seeing that character just develop these feelings that we as we as the audience can understand. Yeah, and that's why, Dave, I don't feel like this was contrived. I know there may be people who may not be as in the know with Star Trek, and they may say, oh, that feels so forced. You gave Data a daughter. 
but it it's so gave him a daughter it's a long so time deeply ago. connected to data as a character and to go very back to something that he had wanted i feel like it's very appropriate and this is this is how you continue the story of a character without bringing them back oh yeah and diminishing their end and, their story and i'll be honest dude this is the one episode that had me crying as a as a when i've viewed it a couple times and it still does in the very end that ending to the offspring when data has to let his daughter go that like made me ball yeah like it made me cry because it was like that's that's a sad way to end an episode. <laughs> but this is Star Trek. You're supposed Star to be Trek. happy all You're the supposed time. To be happy. But now when I look at it, it gets me in that the, that feels that basically is, is so poetic, so poetic, and it it really does. Yeah, I love that episode because it makes Data's journey so cool. I agree. All right, so let's get even farther into the whole synthetic angle a bit more. Uh, this is also where we move into additional deep cuts when it comes to TNG history. The name Bruce Maddox that was used in the first episode of Picard, which if memory serves me, well, he was a bit of an asshole, a little bit of a douche. Um, he was also a character that was used in TNG, obviously. He was the person in charge of the... The synthetics, the synthetic department at Starfleet, uh, and using that name in Picard is very appropriate because Commander Bruce Maddox also appeared in a single episode of Star Trek Star The Next Generation, Next Generation. And that episode was The Measure of the Man, the 13th episode of season two. Uh, Maddox was a Starfleet science officer and cyberneticist working at the Daystrom Institute. Just like in Picard, mm -hmm. he specialized in robotics and became interested in researching Data's positronic brain in the hopes that he could better understand the work of Data's creator, Dr. Sung. He was the sole voice of dissent when Data was granted entry into Star Starfleet as he did not believe Data to be a sentient being. Yeah. The opinion came to be for, again, in the measure of a man, with the backing of a Starfleet Admiral, Maddox came up with a proposal to completely disassemble an attempt to reverse engineer data in hopes that he would discover the knowledge he needed to create new androids. Data obviously objected to the plan as he wasn't confident that Maddox would be able to put his positronic brain back together. Maddox then attempted to have data's objection overruled. By having him reclassified as Starfleet property rather than a Starfleet <laughs> officer, an individual. So Maddox is a bit of an asshole, which could be a little bit of a clue behind how the synthetics reacted. Reacted. Mm -hmm. Did he play some part in their so-called rogue behavior? It Did he instill some type of prejudice Inside the synthetics. It might it might be because if you think about it, the whole story about synthetics in Star Trek in regards to, especially with Data and TNG, it starts with Dr. Soong. And Dr. Soong basically put a little bit of himself into Data and that's what made Data and lore. When you say himself, his penis? <laughs> that's highly inappropriate, Data. It is highly inappropriate. But very woke. But, but like... The creator puts a little of themselves into their creation. 
So if we take that into Maddox, yeah, Maddox was a bit of a dick. I'm sorry. Trying to actually make data into a piece of property was that's that's face punching. Well, hey, worthy. listen, you know what? We, we did it for centuries to the black to the black folk and women. So I mean, and but still, it is face punch worthy. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not Jay, David. I'm not justifying saying. Well, we did it. I'm saying that we have a history of being a bunch of assholes. So yeah. so like I was like. Your idea that basically that a piece of Maddox might be into those synthetics, I like. Yeah. And I hope it does. I have a feeling because Maddox was not a likable character and he did a lot of questionable things in that episode. So I can easily see them spin it to where he becomes some behind the scenes villain that created this problem. Yeah. All right. So let's get into B4 and what happened with him. I know this was another big question we had kind of sad about that one. Yeah. And, you know, Again, it's appropriate and it makes sense, but it is a little sad. And I had talked about this with my mom, who's a huge Star Trek fan. And I feel like if we had never returned to Picard, the way they ended with Nemesis and the idea that Data would live on in B4 because he downloaded his what positronic mind. Yeah, his neural net into, into, into his brother. I think, it, you know, how Data was whistling the song that Data or B4 was whistling the song. I believe that Data was whistling. So you get the idea that everything would be OK, that, yes, Data died, but a part of him would live on in B4. Yeah. And that was great for the end of the TNG era. So we thought. But now moving forward, it's not over. This is really the best route they can go. And it would make sense if B4 was a subpar creation a version of data that wasn't as advanced. He wasn't as perfect as data. Right. So they had stated that he worked for a time, but couldn't sustain data's memory essentially. Yes. And it, it, and then they dismantled him. Once the whole synthetic aspect was banned, was banned. And dude, I mean, this whole thing, the fact that this has to be resolved synthetics before the end of a card, the synthetic ban has to be lifted because it it obviously I think that's the point because that's such an injustice to data. It is. It's an injustice to data. I think that's the entire point because he had he had wanted to prove that he could be human, and now that he if he was around at this time, would he be dismantled? Would he be banned yeah. if he didn't die? So it's a very interesting question to pose. But the way they handled before, I felt it's appropriate. Um, they answered the biggest question because that was my biggest question, honestly, when it comes to uh, Brent Spiner. In fact, I had said at one point, I don't think we're going to get data. I think we're going to get B4. And now we can put that to rest. We can put it to rest because like for me, I was a little sad seeing B4 like, oh, he got all dismantled. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, that answers our question, just like what you said in Nemesis. And I do agree with you. The way that they... The way they explained why B4 can't function and he, the, posit, uh, the posit, positronic matrix of data was too, was too much for his processors to manage and basically he couldn't handle it. Right. And okay. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so we're on board, same page. I'm on the same page yeah. with you. I just thought it was kind of sad that, that basically that's B4's fate. Because if you watch Nemesis, you, I kind of rooted for B4 to survive this. Yeah, well, perhaps they will find a way to give him a, a better ending. 
Yeah, because by like, the you know maybe by the end of season one or whatever may happen with this synthetic band, maybe they will put them back together once everything gets resolved. I think that would be appropriate. I think I think a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on lore and data as Star Trek fans. Oh, those are the only two brothers. But then when they introduced before, it was kind of cool because while the relationship between data and lore was very opposing it's you know they're they're two opposing forces yeah with before it's more or less kind of like an older brother looking at a younger brother that's how i that's how i viewed it in nemesis because before was i thought it was more like a smart brother looking (laughs) at a dull brother well i didn't want to go that route (laughs) hey i'm woke i didn't say retarded i said i said dull i didn't want to go that route but it, it, it does have that kind of like element it had more of a of a positive brother relationship rather than the one that data had with lore. Right. And I was really hoping that basically they would continue that and lore would not become data, but kind of actually lore died a long time ago or not lore, but uh, before. Oh, oh, okay. But I was hoping that before would kind of grow up, not into data, but basically kind of like the younger brother becoming, uh, becoming proud of his older brother. We'll see what happens. Like I said, I mean, they addressed it for a reason. Yes. You know, obviously it's a question we all have, but also we could, in fact, go back to that eventually. We will see. Uh, Then we had those waning moments. This is the last bit here before we close out today's discussion. Data's other daughter was on board what was called a Romulan Reclamation Center. Center. But as we pan out at the end... (laughs) We find out that it was, in fact, a Borg cube, right? That was cool. Okay, that so, was so cool. do you have any thoughts on this? Any theories? Oh, dude. Go I have ahead. so many ideas. What, what's Just going give on. me one. Give me one theory. I honestly feel that we're, the Borg are going to be the big enemy, but they've advanced. I think Hugh is actually the villain. Oh, oh Jesus. I really think Hugh's going to be the I villain. forget I asked you. I have this gut feeling that I'm like, hmm, Borg, it's a Borg cube. And they all basically just brought in people. Okay, you got to remember how Voyager ended. Dude, I know. They pretty much destroyed the Borg. They did, but they didn't destroy you. No, because they were disconnected. They were their own individuals. So we'll see what happens, Dave. I don't really have too many theories because it can really go any direction. But I have an idea. I have a, I have a feeling that... The Borg cube is, in fact, Hughes, or yes. maybe even seven and nine, but they're not bad. I think they're doing their part to help with the Romulan people. I think they're humanitarians, if you will. You think? Yeah, I think it's a little more simple than that. Okay. All right. If it's the simple route. Yeah. Yes. Then now, I, I can don't picture think, that. I don't think the Hugh and seven and nine angle is going to be simple, but I think the Borg cube is a little more simple than we all are. Thinking like it it was designed to be like, oh, shit, Shit. (laughs) which is a great way to end the episode. Oh, yeah, because I was like trying to figure out, okay, where are they? And it looks uh, all the architecture looks vaguely familiar. And when they start pulling back, I'm like, this is a rather large. Oh, crap. It's a large Borg cube. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think the Borg will be the the main villains of this show, whatever they end up doing. There there could be some problems and some issue with the Borg. You kind of have to have the Borg around when you're dealing with Picard. Oh, when when uh, when you're dealing with synthetics. I'm sorry, the Borg are synthetic. Yeah. 
All right, Dave, final thoughts and your grade. Okay. My grade for this, I love this episode. If you guys have not been able to tell, I love Star Trek. And this this episode made me love it even more. I'm so happy Patrick Stewart's back. I was really worried that about the character's legacy and not just his legacy, but all the characters that I had grown up to love, Data and the universe of Star Trek and Michael Shabon has done a fantastic job just showing us, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take care of it. Don't worry. Trust me. I'm a good writer. <laughs> and a lot of the things, a lot of the nuances they, they chose to do. I really enjoyed. I loved the whole, my, one of my favorite scenes was actually when Picard goes back to Starfleet and he goes into that archive and you see all the little nods to TNG where they, they even had the banner of Picard day, which is hilarious. <laughs> Captain Picard day was cool. And then all that stuff was fantastic. My final grade for this episode is a, I'm not going to give it a hundred because I don't want you throwing your screen at me, <laughs> but I am going to give it a solid 95. I really like this episode, dude. This is, this episode was fantastic. It made me want to actually see what, where they're going with it. And it, made me ask the right questions that made me happy. It didn't make me ask questions that made me angry, like say other things me and you have covered. When I ask certain questions that make me angry, it tells me that basically there's too many plot holes. If I'm asking questions because I want to see where they're going and I want to see where they're going, that shows that the writer knows what he's doing. He's pacing his story out properly to make us as the audience question where is his narrative going? And I want to see more. So that's my, I'm going to give it a 95. 95. Look at you. I'm not going to give it a hundred. Very strong start. There's a lot of possibilities with this show. I'm not quite sure what direction they're going to go quite yet. In terms of ideology, we know Star Trek always explores some form of that in terms of politics I definitely think at its core, Picard is going to be about societal trauma and what happens in the in the wake of tragedy and how we deal with that. It's very suiting for a character like Picard who has been in the mix of tragedy since he was assimilated by the Borg. Uh, it weighed heavy on him. It created a, a type of PTSD that never escaped that he was never able to escape. It became a very core element of who he is as a character. It even alienated him at times from Starfleet. They didn't trust him. Yeah. Uh, so this angle in the story, how he is the, you know, person that wanted to save the Romulans and he was leading the charge to evacuate before the supernova or post supernova. And then he's the friend of data, a synthetic. Most people are, or have grown to hate I mean, there's a lot of beautiful angles in terms of story and and politics they can go into. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how Michael Shabon uh, manages to craft a story. Um, I do have some issues with some of the the writing. Nothing bad, nothing that breaks it. Um, I feel like a lot happened, but also nothing happened. It was it's very strange feeling. I have now. It's now been three days since I've watched the episode. Uh, so I guess the best way to summarize that is perhaps maybe some pacing issues, perhaps. 
but that doesn't take away from the greatness of the episode and the amazing start that we had. I'm going to give this an 81%. Okay. I can live with that. That's actually a decent one. I mean, like, do you think like the pacing was just a little too slow for your liking? No, well, it's definitely not slow. I, I think it was appropriately slow because maybe it was slow, but it was appropriately slow. We needed to get started. There's some suspension of disbelief issues I had uh, with Picard suddenly acknowledging that Data had a daughter and then not really second guessing it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that has to do with the connection. The young lady, Data's daughter, had said, I know you know me too. Yeah. Uh, So there has to be some connection there just besides just the picture. Just the picture. And if that's the case, if he does in fact know her at his core because of some connection by way of him being a f- formerly a Borg and she's a synthetic and there's uh, more to her than simply being data's, data's offspring, God, offspring. Then I would retrospectively go back and say, okay, this goes up significantly in terms of my grading system. But, but yeah, good episode. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what's next. I want to thank everybody for listening to our discussion. Star Trek from the holodeck can be found on pretty much any podcast platform. Just search Star Trek from the holodeck. Be sure to leave us reviews. Give us thumbs up. Find us on Twitter at from the holodeck, facebook.com slash Star Trek from the holodeck. We love you guys. Also, we do Patreon discussions. That's what keeps us alive here. We don't make a whole lot of money on our broadcast discussions some here and there through ad revenue but mostly through patreon so if you want more star trek discussions each and every single month we do a whole lot more on patreon including some pre-shows to our picard discussions so head over to patreon.com slash rayman digital and pledge five dollars or more a month and gain access to all of that uh thank you david Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.